The politicking is endless, the cancel culture is ridiculous, and the Mayflower Compact is conscientious. I'm Josiah Evertson, and this is The Glorious Rescue. Welcome to another episode of The Glorious Rescue. Again, thank you all so much for listening. We do have many stories to get into today, updates from previous stories that we've mentioned, and also exciting end show segments to hop into, so we have lots to cover today. I do want to briefly mention to you that I'm considering the concept of having on guests on to the show, and that's obviously been a little bit of the goal here. And I also want to know your suggestions. So if you're on Instagram, obviously you know the account. To give me any suggestions would be The Glorious Rescue. Just direct message me some ideas, some suggestions you would have, as well as obviously any suggestions that you have for the show. That's at The Glorious Rescue, and that's also the tag that you will use if you want to share this episode, or also just simply a quotation from it. Again, we do have episodes dropped every Tuesday and Friday. That's pretty simple to remember, but if you don't want to remember it, all you got to do is hit follow if you're listening on Spotify and subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. That way you don't have to remember. Uh, They'll be automatically placed into your queue for you. So we're going to jump into a lot of the stories for today, but before I do, I want to reiterate one quick point, a little bit of a review from a previous episode, and that is regarding George Orwell's 1984. And I don't necessarily know if I drove home the application point that I wanted to make, and it was the idea of the individual versus the collective. The individual or the collective. The rights of the individual or the will of the collective. And the danger really in promoting the collective over the individual is, let's think of this, I guess, personally. If I, as a human being, look at you, another human being, and I don't necessarily see you as an individual, someone with intrinsic value, but also rights given by God, obviously we know laid out in the law of nature and of nature's God, but also recognized and protected by government. If I don't see you as that individual, but instead I see you as a member of a collective, that is when society begins to crumble. Because I may now view you not only as a member of a collective to which you don't ascribe to, but a collective I don't agree with. And so I look at myself as a member of a particular collective, and I look at you as another member of a different collective. And we view each other almost as members of different tribes. It promotes this idea of tribalism, and it's a lot more divisive. And I will say as we look back through history, no society recovers from this mentality, the idea of the collective, and that all people in a society are just members of a collective and they're all at constant war with each other to promote each collective's will over another, rather than all of us as individuals desiring to protect our rights. So I'll make the statement. The rights of the individual must be prioritized over the will of the collective. That is what protects individual liberty, hinders the lawlessness of the mob, and perpetuates the foundation of our nation. It is a pillar of our nation. The idea of individual liberty, obviously individual responsibility and self-government, and we're going to discuss that a lot later in our end of show segment. Before we do, we're going to cover several of the unfoldings of the news, and we're going to do this really briefly. I mentioned in the intro that the politicking is endless. Politicking is defined as activity undertaken for political reasons. And as we look at the recent Supreme Court ruling, obviously not just the one that we mentioned in our last episode with the LGBT case, but also with this most recent one that we're going to discuss, all the politicking that's going on, we're going to expose it, look at the facts, then we're going to just briefly touch on rampant cancel culture that's going on, and then conclude with our end of show segment. So the very first story we're going to jump into is the recent Supreme Court ruling on the DACA. And I'll give all of you as listeners a little bit of a brief overview of what the DACA is to give us a better understanding of what the ruling actually was. So the DACA was basically a unilateral piece of legislation that was created by means of an executive order under the Obama administration. It was unconstitutional, 
and it was, I would say, illegal. Obviously, there, there are immigration laws, and part of those immigration laws entail deportation. And what the DACA is, is it's unilaterally stating that immigrants, illegal immigrants, between certain ages, fulfilling certain criteria that they felt should categorize them as exempt, are now not subject to the law of the United States of America. The president has the power to pardon. The president has the power to reduce sentence. The president has power to do that in specific instances. What the president of the United States does not have the right to do is unilaterally, I guess you could say, quote unquote, pardon large groups of people, whether it be by class, age, or any type of criteria. He's not allowed to unilaterally do that. Not only does he not have the right, but he definitely cannot do that against overt law. What I mean is the legislature through deliberation, came up with this immigration law that entailed deportation, and the Obama administration basically said, we don't care, we don't like the law, so we're going to rewrite the law to what we feel is best. Unconstitutional, and in fact, if you think about it, it's a direct violation of the consent of the governed, because we as citizens have the most say in the legislative branch. They are the purest representation of the American people, and through that representation is supposed to come the legislation. But unfortunately, the executive branch showed once again a huge overreach and unilaterally exempted certain groups of people. And that is what the DACA is. So recently, the Trump administration basically said, we are going to redact the DACA. It's unconstitutional. It's not allowed. We're going to pull it, and we're going to start enforcing the actual law. And that is what came up in the Supreme Court case. And the Supreme Court, in a 5-4 decision, ruled that Trump was not allowed to do that. There's no way around it other than the fact that it is pure politicking, and it's for perceived looks on behalf of the Supreme Court. With all the social issues going on, the Supreme Court does not want to look bad. Specifically, Roberts doesn't want to look bad. And the four liberal justices voted, obviously, against the Trump administration, and Justice Roberts joined them. Roberts wrote the majority opinion, and in the majority opinion, he stated that, yes, the administration does have the right to redact this. But basically what he argued was that they didn't do it by means of the method that they thought would be appropriate. But I would like to remind you that the Obama administration, when they created this, did not do it in the appropriate manner. Completely circumvented the true meaning of the legislature. And so the Trump administration said because of its unconstitutionality, we are now going to redact that. And as the executive branch designed to enforce the law, we are going to enforce the actual piece of legislation. So the Supreme Court, being the branch that is supposed to interpret the law, whether or not it is constitutional or not, should have looked at the DACA, deemed what side was constitutional, and enacted upon that. Instead, the judicial branch once again acts as a legislature, creating legislation and enforcing whatever they want to continue to push their political agenda for a good view from society. It's ridiculous, it's unconstitutional, it's not what the founders intended, and it is not okay. Clarence Thomas, he was the one who wrote the dissenting opinion, came out with some fiery words against it, and rightfully so, basically stating that it was a disgrace. Clarence Thomas accused the court's majority of wanting to avoid making waves, even if it meant getting the law wrong. He said in a tweet, Today's decision must be recognized for what it is, an effort to avoid a politically controversial but legally correct decision. He pinpointed the exact issue. They avoided a legally correct decision in order to look politically uncontroversial. He also said the decision to countermand an unlawful agency action is clearly reasonable. Talking about Trump administration wanting to repeal something that's unlawful. So long as the agency's determination of illegality is sound, our review should be at an end. 
basically saying if there is evidence to suggest that the action involved was illegal and unlawful in the first place, then it's reasonable to repeal this. Obviously, the evidence is there and it should have been repealed. Anyways, we're not going to continue to discuss it, a lot of the politicking going on. I briefly want to touch on the cancel culture. What I mean by cancel culture is the idea of getting rid of anything that we disagree with, anything that we don't like, or anything that we deem a scourge throughout our history. You see it in the tearing down of statues, in the desire to redact Paw Patrol and other TV shows because it's not something that we like. We see the cancel culture on the recent labeling of syrup companies and Aunt Jemima, and we will definitely see it with Uncle Sam's as well. It's the idea of anything that's being presented that we don't like, it needs to be canceled. It's ridiculous. It's petty. And I don't really want to spend a lot of time discussing cancel culture other than the fact that it's harmful. It is not helpful to your cause. And just because something is a scourge to our history doesn't mean we don't need to be reminded of it. There are plenty of bad things throughout American history that we need to be reminded of so that we can avoid. I don't necessarily want to get into the details of cancel culture. There's a lot of good content and a lot of good people giving very valid arguments against it. I do not really want to waste my time on the plague that we call cancel culture. So that's really going to wrap up the stories for today. Again, the politicking in the Supreme Court, the horrible rulings that are coming down the line with the Supreme Court, and the idea of the pettiness of cancel culture. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. We are going to delve into another segment of the founding era. Okay, well, here we are with another segment of the founding era. I will admit today we're going to jump into the Mayflower Compact, and in regards to this, I didn't necessarily know how to categorize it, if I would categorize it under the founding era. Obviously, we know that this document does date back to 1620, so we are celebrating the 400-year anniversary of this document, which is, I think, why it's so fitting to examine it today. But that means that it's about 150 years before what we would deem as, I guess you could say, the colonial era, that founding era of the mid-1700s. So I had a little bit of debate in my mind as to how I would categorize this, but as I got to thinking and restudying this topic, I was reminded that this Mayflower Compact really is the building block upon which the Declaration of Independence rests, which then is the building block upon which the Constitution rests. And so because of that, I would say that it does constitute the idea of American founding. It's the idea of self-government. It's the idea of individual responsibility and the recognition of God and God-given rights in America and in American government. So I just want to provide a little bit of context, and then we're going to go through the actual text. It's very brief. Kind of give a little bit of an overview and then a brief application. What can we learn from the Mayflower Compact? So as I mentioned, this document dates back to 1620. And the first colony really established on American soil from Britain was really Jamestown in 1607. So this happened just a little over a decade after. So very early on, but not necessarily the first. But we're going to talk about what makes this different, what makes it unique and then obviously how it applies to today. The Mayflower Compact was written by the Pilgrims, what we call today as the Pilgrims, but not necessarily all of them. It really was only drafted and signed by what we call the Separatists, the members of the church, and all of the Pilgrims we would categorize as individuals seeking religious liberty. And they lived under the British crown in England, and they left their homes there to move to Holland to seek religious freedom. And back in England during that time, you could be arrested, you could lose your property, you could face punishment for not going to the church that you ought to go to or praying the way you ought to. And so they fled to Holland for religious freedom, but then there, they were discontent with how their children were being raised. They were being raised not growing up in strong moral homes, speaking the English language really and being taught 
in English schools, and so they wanted the best of both worlds. They wanted religious liberty, but they also wanted the ability to be left alone, really. And that's what it came down to. They saw a charter from the King of England who granted it to them to establish a colony in Virginia. And so they had a charter from the King of England to establish land in Virginia, and then on their journey by boat across the Atlantic Ocean, they arrived at a much different destination than what they had originally planned. So really there was some doubt, some concern. They were worried that because they had a Virginia charter and they weren't landing on Virginian soil, they didn't know how they would be perceived by the king, how law would be applied, and would there be government? Because now the charter from the king is really only applicable to Virginian soil. So how would they govern themselves? And that's really the birth of the Mayflower Compact. Like I mentioned, it was signed by the members of the church, I guess you could say the separatist group of the pilgrims, signed by those on the Mayflower before they even left the boat. And they arrived on shore before they left the boat. They signed this compact. And I would say that it was the first politic, the first government of the people, by the people, and for the people. If you think about it, a lot of the rule of law being established was from those above to those below. The idea of kings and monarchs, dictators, aristocrats, creating laws and creating them for the land, specifically those beneath them. And so it really is a government compact from those above to those below. And then you have like the instance of the Magna Carta, the signing in the 1200s. And really what that was, was the English people forcing the king to live under the same law that he held his subjects to. And that really was a social construct from the subjects to the monarch. But the Mayflower Compact was really the first time that men, the governed, came together to form a government. And really that would constitute that government being of the people, by the people, and for the people. It's the idea of self-government. And in this document, they recognize God and that our rights come from God. So it's a beautiful document. And like I said, the Declaration of Independence rests upon it. So we're going to briefly walk through it. It reads as follows. In the name of God, amen. It is interesting that the sixth word in the very first governmental document on American soil is God, and a reference to God. It says, We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, and Ireland King, defender of the faith, etc. So they recognize God, they recognize their duty to God, and they recognize their duty to government, the king. Having undertaken for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents, solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one of another, covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic, for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. And by virtue hereof to enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and offices, from time to time, as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. And then the last sentence, it's just a long sentence basically stating the date and why we're signing it, and a lot of the detailed information. So that's how the Mayflower Compact reads. But how in the world does that apply to our, to our day? What does that even mean? Well, let's briefly look at it. They state in this document their purpose. They state that their purpose is for the glory of God and for the advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of king and country. Not only that, but they state that it's for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of those ends, the idea of the furtherance of the Christian faith and the glory of God, but then also to frame a government with just and equal laws. I believe 
that the idea of just and equal laws derives from their reference to God. Because they recognize God and they recognize that because there is a God, we are all created in his image. We're all created equal. And so because we are all created equal, we are there all for then given the right to equal law. That the law should be equally distributed among equal men. And that is what true justice is. Not the social justice that we're seeing from the stories that we talked about today, but true justice, just and equal laws. It is beautiful to me to think that these pilgrims, behind them, a vast, expansive ocean, one that many of their comrades died in. Ahead of them, a vast wilderness, full of dangers and turmoils. And between that, what do they do? They recognize an almighty God. They recognize that we are all equal under that God and that it is the duty of man to self-govern themselves, to construct a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, to create equal law, to recognize God, and that our rights come from God, and that rights are derived from God, protected by government, and manifested in the individual. A beautiful theme that's found throughout the Declaration of Independence. It's furthered in that declaration, and then structured in the Constitution. And so I would say that the Mayflower Compact is somewhat the acknowledgement to what the 1776 document is the declaration and establishment to what the Constitution is the framing and protecting. That is how they all beautifully coincide. And I do hope that these are applicable and helpful to you. I really look at this as not only informative, but helpful and enlightening. And I hope that you would say the same thing. The idea that studying these documents makes us better individuals. Not only better, but more specifically more thankful more thankful to an almighty God who has given us this great opportunity. So in conclusion, I ask the question if this is an opportunity that we want to squander. It's been stated that America is the grand experiment, the great experiment. Do we want to let it go to waste? Or do we want to cherish it, protect it, and pass it on to our posterity? I hope this has been a challenge to you. I also hope it's been helpful to you. Once again, we'll be back on Tuesday with all of the latest. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Josiah Everton, and this is The Glorious Rescue.